So Jesus had spent years walking around with people, reaching out to people, doing ministry, miracle after miracle, walls broken down. And then, as you, most of you know the story, he's arrested. He's crucified. On the third day, he rises again. Because of this, a movement started to happen. There were people who believed because of what they had seen. And then they began to wonder when they realized that Jesus had been crucified. But then eyewitness after eyewitness, person after person began to hear that Jesus had risen from the dead. Believers began to multiply. As you could imagine, there were groups of people who began to form around this. This concept that Jesus was, was who he legitimately claimed to be. That Jesus did what he said that he would do. And so the church formed. And here we are today, 2,000 plus years later. And still we are together, meeting together as the church. And this lifestyle began to radically spread. People began to gather together and give of themselves unselfishly. To reach out to one another and follow these teachings of Christ. But as they began to do that, reality began to set in. Because as they began to follow Christ, many of them began to be persecuted for the choice that they had made. They began to face the consequences of that because they had accepted Jesus as their Messiah. This one that they had been waiting on for generation after generation. How about that? All right. After generation, they'd been waiting on Jesus, and all of a sudden it bring, begins to bring division because they had chosen to follow Christ, but there were others as this mighty movement began to rise up that says, we have to stop this movement because it began to grow faster and, and in much bigger way on a bigger scale than anyone could have imagined. And so they were beginning to be persecuted. And these people who were following Christ, like you and like me, in this persecution, they lost family members. Some of them lost family members because their family members were killed for following Christ. Some of them lost family members because as they followed Christ, their family, who was so important to them, said, you're dead to us. We don't want to have anything else to do with you. So they lost family members. They lost friends. They lost businesses. They lost jobs. You can just imagine if if people heard, oh, you, you're following Christ, all of a sudden, we don't want to do business with you anymore. They lost finances. So economically, emotionally, physically, these people who followed Christ were finding themselves at a place where they were hurting, where they were broken, where they were finding themselves at a place where they didn't know if it was really worth it to continue following Christ. So that brings us to where we're at. We're looking at the book of Hebrews, and we're just taking a few highlights out of the book of Hebrews, and we're going to look at a passage today. But as we look at this, we have to realize the writer of Hebrews is writing to these Hebrew people, and he's writing out of a sense of desperation, because he knows that the people in the audience that he's writing to, the people in these churches, are just moments away from saying, I can't take it anymore. I'm going to throw in the towel. It's, it's too hard. It's too painful. It, it hurts too much relationally. It hurts too much emotionally. I've been hurt too much financially. I need to take care of my family. And so this writer 
is writing with a sense of urgency, realizing he has to reach these people with these message, this message because they don't know if following Jesus is really going to be worth it. And he's telling them two things. He's telling them Jesus really is God. That's why you started following him. And don't give up on Jesus because he really is God. And the other thing that he's telling them is Jesus is enough. Because what some of them were trying to do is maybe just compromise a little bit. All right, it's hard to follow Christ. So I'll take some of Christ's teachings, but then I'm also going to do other stuff so that people don't put me into that category. So the writer is desperately writing to these people. He's telling them Jesus is God and Jesus is enough. Keep going. It's worth it to follow Jesus. That's what he's telling them. Now, we're just going to look at one passage today, but to kind of set it up, I want to give you a chunk of the letter, and then we're going to focus in on the passage. So today we're going to be looking at a portion of Hebrews chapter 6. We're going to begin in verse 10. So this is part of the letter that he's written to the church, the people, the Hebrews. For God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for him, how you have shown your love to him by caring for other believers, as you still do. Our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts, in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. Then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance. For example, there was God's promise to Abraham. Since there was no one greater to swear by, God took an oath by his own name saying, I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number. Then Abraham waited patiently and he received what God had promised. Now when people take an oath, they call on something greater than themselves. They hold them to hold themselves to it. And without any question, that oath is binding. God also bound himself with an oath so that, he, so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he will never change his mind. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled from him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to this hope that lies before us. Now, verse 19 is where we're going to be focusing today. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone there for, has gone there for us. He has become our eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So I'll look at verse 19 again real quick. This hope is our strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that through whatever we're facing, Father, through whatever storm may be around us or within us, Father, we can trust in you as being trustworthy, as being strong, as being our anchor. Lord, I pray that you would speak to each one of us today, in Jesus' name, amen. I tend to like comedies where 
the situation just kind of goes from bad to worse. And I don't know why I like it because it's almost painful to watch. And I don't know that there's a name for this sort of genre of comedy, but it seems like it's kind of an ongoing storyline. If you saw the movie Date Night that came out a few years ago, or uh, Duplex is another one, or Meet the Parents, or going way back, Money Pit with Tom Hanks. And in these types of comedies, what happens is the person gets into a situation, and it gets bad, and then it gets worse, and then it gets worse, and you know what's going to happen, and you're just kind of cringing and and you can hardly bear to watch because it gets uncomfortable because you know it is just going to get worse and worse and worse. Sometimes we find ourselves there in life. Even just recently, we've got a family here in the church. They had surgery, and then the car breaks down, and then they find out grandmother's passed away, and then they find out daughter-in-law has gone into early labor, and then they find out The daughter has gone to the hospital with a possible concussion. And then they find out more family members are having some issues. And it's just in those situations where you're like, really, God? I mean, come on, because it's just like the hits just keep coming and coming and coming. The car breaks down, and then you've got bills that come in the mail. And then you go home, and you get in a fight with your spouse. And it's just like one thing piles on another, piles on another, piles on another. Have you ever been in situations like that? I know sometimes they come in seasons. Sometimes they come on those really bad days. Sometimes it seems like years that those things just pile up. And that's kind of where the Hebrews have found themselves. Because they want to follow after God, but each step they take just seems to get a little bit more painful. Each step they take seems to get a little bit more difficult. And they get to the place where sometimes we feel ourselves, where we feel like, I just can't take it anymore. It's gone from bad to worse, to worser, to worser. Sorry for my English. You know, it just, the pit keeps getting deeper and deeper. And you just hit a place where you feel like, are you even there, God? Because I cannot take another blow to come to my life. And if we're really honest, we can look at these things and see, yeah, okay, I can identify with that when things go from bad to worse to worse to worse. But I also want to challenge you today as we look at this, sometimes it's not just the bad stuff. Sometimes it's the good things that you've been striving after in your life that, that, that we get passionate about, that we're, we're desperate for sometimes. Finally, you get the income in your life. Finally, you get that position. Finally, you get the recognition. And sometimes even the good things can bring so much pressure and weight upon our lives that we can get to that place where we just say, I don't feel like I can take it anymore. I don't know if I can go another day. Sometimes it's once, sometimes it's twice, sometimes it's a hundred times where we just hit that place where we feel like, I'm going to throw in the towel. I don't think that I can take it anymore. I'm about to call it quits on my marriage. I cannot do this in my marriage anymore. On my job, I cannot go another day to that job. On your family or maybe just where you're at in life, those pressures can pile up on us to where we feel like we can't take it anymore. Because if I get one more unexpected hit, if the wind blows just a little bit too much, this boat that I'm trying to survive in in life, it's going to submerge. It's going to sink because I am right there, right there 
on the edge. I think some of us have been to that place before in life, and I would dare say even some of you are there today. You've come to church today for whatever reason. You got up, you're here, but you're in that place where you say, I just can't take anymore. Verse 19 says, This hope is strong, meaning God can handle it. This hope is trustworthy, meaning that you can depend on it. He is an anchor for your souls. It leads us through the curtain to God's inner sanctuary. Apparently, my soul needs an anchor. Your soul needs an anchor. So let's talk about soul for a second. What is soul, right? Hey, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that, and I'll never do it again. Not James Brown. We're not talking James Brown here. Your soul, as the Bible defines it, is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. The Old Testament uses the term heart, all right? And it's not talking about boom, 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 boom. Not, not the organ that is within your chest. Your heart, your mind, your will, your emotions. Who you are on the inside, right? We take away the skin. We take away the bones. Take away the blood. It's you. It's what you think. It's what you do. It's what you feel. Your soul needs an anchor. Why does our soul need an anchor? Because our soul has a tendency to drift, right? My mind has a tendency to drift, right? I I can see something shiny and get distracted really easily. I mean, you guys don't even understand. I can be up here speaking to you guys for 30 minutes, and while I'm speaking to you, I'm thinking about what I'm going to have for lunch sometimes, if I'm real honest. Oh, okay, let me get back on track. My mind can drift really easy. Your mind can drift really easy. Our will can drift really easy, right? How many times have we, have we put our will into place and said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to lose some weight. I'm going to be a better husband. I'm going to be a better father, whatever it is. And we, we put these goals in our life and we turn around and it's been a month or whatever and our boat has drifted. We're not where we want to be. Our mind drifts, our will drifts, and our emotions drift. Right? Any of us who have just tried to be led by what we feel, we realize we can drift really, really easy. So our soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions has a tendency, like a rowboat that's out on the ocean, just to drift and drift. And so the scripture here is telling us that our souls need an anchor. What does an anchor do? An anchor will keep you from drifting. You can put that anchor down and it's going to help hold you in place. An anchor is also going to keep you from tipping over. It's going to bring stability to your life. And ultimately, the anchor is going to help keep you from sinking in the midst of a storm. An anchor is an agent of stability. It's an agent of security and steadiness. Your soul and my soul and the Hebrew souls needed an agent of stability. They needed in this situation that they were in some steadiness and some security. They needed to be tethered to something that was going to hold them through the elements of life that were difficult. And the writer is writing to them. He's saying, I want you to know that Jesus is God and don't give up on Jesus. Because as you hold on to him as your anchor, 
you will remain and you will last and you will stay and you will survive. So my question for you is, does your soul have an anchor? This would have been a, a bit of imagery that the author is writing with that the Hebrew people would have been very familiar with. An anchor was part of their culture. And so they understood this metaphor really easily. And all through the book of Hebrews, really, he's talking to this Jewish audience and using, using uh, references that they're very familiar with. He's talking about the Old Testament and Abraham and their history and Jesus being the ultimate priest in Melchizedek. And so he's tying all these pieces together and then he's reminding them, Jesus is the anchor because we need to be reminded you're not alone in this boat that feels like it's about to sink. You need to know that you have security in the midst of this storm. We all face struggles. I don't know what it is that you may be going through, but we've all got stuff. Whether it's finances that are piling up, whether it's relationship issues, whether it's just you don't like the person that you see when you look in the mirror, or it could be something much greater than any of those things. But we all face stuff, and as believers today, not just the Hebrews back then, but us today, we need something that we can hang on to that's steady and trustworthy, that we know is going to keep us from tipping over, that is going to keep us from sinking. It's going to steady how we think. It's going to steady how we choose to react. It's going to steady how we feel. We need an anchor in our lives. So what is the anchor that you tend to lean on? For most of us, a lot of times, one of the easiest anchors that we can tend to lean on is our financial security. I mean, if we are able to pay the bills, we feel a sense of peace, right? But when everything dries up, there's this overwhelming stress that we feel like, what in the world am I going to do? And so if you've got a, to a place where you're debt-free, maybe the house is paid off, maybe you're financially secure, you've got the job, you've got the position, you've got the prominence, that can tend to feel like it steadies our emotions, right? Because if the money's tight, it brings stress to the relationship, it brings stress to the family, but if it feels like, okay, that, that's all good. We can think we have a sense of peace. But there's holes in that theory. Because what does not have a soul cannot steady your soul. Finances do not have a soul. Right when your world starts falling apart, your fancy car will not help you. It may be great for a drive, but what does not have a soul cannot aid your soul. Your house is not going to help you. Your job is not going to help you. Your social standing is not going to help you because those things do not have a soul. So the next thing I think that we think of a lot of times when we think of what could be our anchor, and this is a good thing, is our family, our spouse, our husband, our wife, right? I mean, when we think about what, what is your rock? What, what is the thing that you, holds you steady? Man, my wife, she, she, she's my rock, right? My, my man, he's my rock. He's so handsome and strong. And that's what Tiffany told me before the, the service. No, but we, it's, it's easy to think that our family, uh, those relationships can be our rock. And like I say, I'm pro-family, and I, I pray for strong families within our church. But there's a hole in that theory as well. 
And here's the problem with that. My soul is broken and fragmented. My wife's soul is broken and fragmented. Your soul is broken and fragmented. Marriage is, are, is two souls that are broken and fragmented coming together. And it's easy to hit a place in life where you're stressed out and frustrated with one another and say, well, you didn't do that. And the other person responds, well, you didn't do that. And you said this and you said that. And all of a sudden we have an Old West shootout, right? Where two fragmented souls are saying, you let me down. And we can all hit that place where we feel like the other person didn't care and they weren't there. I've seen this as a pastor more times than I can count, right? Stuff's getting tough in your life and, you know, you come to church one day and then you leave mad. Pastor Adam didn't say hello to me. You know, we didn't connect in that way, you know, or you're, you're feeling stressed and so you're texting me, I'm having troubles in my marriage and I didn't respond to you quick enough so you get mad at me. Let me fill you in on a little secret if I can get on my soapbox for a second. Maybe it will occur to you that the reason I didn't respond because me and my wife were at home having issues ourselves, right? The problem is, is that I've got a fragmented soul just like you've got a fragmented soul. And if you show up to church one Sunday and I didn't say hi to you, it's not that I don't like you. It could be that I'm dealing with stress of my own. And the point is, we can't depend on another person to be our anchor. Because that soul is a fragmented soul just like yours. You see, we need something with a soul that's similar to yours, that knows, so similar to yours that it knows your condition. The things that you face, the things that you go through and tempt you in life. Yet so profoundly different from your soul that it is flawless and whole. Therefore, it doesn't have to take care of itself, and it can take care of your soul. It needs to be a soul that transcends and understands every circumstance that we face, a soul that can rescue us. That's all that we need. So you guys know where I'm going, right? You guys can figure me out pretty easy. Jesus. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the anchor for our soul. You guys figured me out again. We have this strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. I wish, I wish that it was a different analogy, maybe, that the writer of Hebrews used, right? Like a rocket ship, right? We need a rocket ship for our souls that would just blast us off and get us out of whatever situation that we're in. Because what does an anchor imply, right? The, the waves are getting rough and the anchor drops down. It implies that we're going to hunker down right here in the midst of this storm. But I would really like to escape. How about one of those rescue helicopters, right? Jesus, come and be the rescue helicopter of my soul. Come and get me out of here. Jesus, in the midst of this storm, in the midst of my marriage that seems to be falling out, rescue helicopter Jesus, come and get me out of this situation. Right, my job is falling apart. Get me out of here, Jesus. Take me to somewhere really good. Let's go to Disneyland. Helicopter Jesus, would you take us to Disneyland? Because everything is perfect there. Right? And that's what we want Jesus to be. 
get me out of this situation and take me to where everything is fun and good. But it doesn't say that. He gives us an anchor. An anchor to hunker down right in the midst of this storm. This reminds me of a story that uh, you're all probably familiar with, but in Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33, Jesus knows the storm, and he knows a storm is coming. He's been ministering on this hillside, preaching to people, healing people. His disciples are with them, and as they finish, Jesus tells his disciples, hey, why don't you guys go ahead and get in the boat and You go on over to the other side, and I'll meet you there in a little bit. Well, how are you going to get there, Jesus? I have my ways, right? He's going to be able to get there. So the disciples, they load up in the boat, and they head out to the other side. So they're in this boat, right? Rowing, rowing, rowing. And all of a sudden, the sky grows dark, and the wind starts to come, and the storm Hits. The storm hits. There it is. So the disciples are in the midst of this storm as they sail across this lake. And all of a sudden, it starts to get pretty bad. I don't know if you guys have been out on a boat where the water's choppy. And it's a little bit scary, just on a choppy day, right? But when you're in the midst of a storm, it can get terrifying. And the Bible tells us that this storm was so bad that the disciples were terrified. They were feeling like in this moment, helicopter Jesus, where are you? Because as the disciples are in the boat, they would have been going up and down and certainly feeling seasick as the waves crash. They would have been going across the sea, and as they go across the sea, they're hearing the creak of the wood on their boat. They're sensing the water that's splashing up, and they're trying to throw it back out of the boat, right? So they're in the midst of this storm, and as they're going through the storm, all of a sudden, they see something in the distance, at least when their boat rises on the water and then it goes back down there yep there's something coming and yep there's something coming and it turns out it's Jesus that's coming towards them in the midst of this storm he's walking on the wind and the waves but he doesn't stop the wind and the waves because the storm doesn't hinder Jesus the storm doesn't intimidate Jesus And then he has the audacity from a little ways away, from across this room, as the waves are going up and down, and the boat. Jesus would have looked at Peter and said, but I am always here with you. I am always here with you in the midst of this storm. I am always here. Now let me just say, I get it. As I've told some of you guys before, 2016 was a tough year for us. For me, for my family, we felt rejected, betrayed, lied to, lied about, financially unstable, unsure of our future, stressed out, 
overwhelmed. Was it hard to keep our eyes on Jesus? Yes, it was. Because in the midst of the storm, we could look at everything and go, I just don't get it. You see, those disciples in the boat, they had done everything that they were supposed to be doing. They did exactly what Jesus asked them to do. And the storm still showed up. It still threatened to sink their boat where they felt like we are never going to make it to our destination. We are never going to make it to the other side. Do I get it with the Hebrews? Absolutely. I mean, big deal if I had financial stress last year. These guys were facing, if I show up to this church service like you are here today and I walk out of here, somebody might kill my wife and family because they're persecuting Christians. I mean, that, that's serious stuff, right? So do I understand that the Hebrews had trouble keeping their eyes on Jesus? Yes. Do I understand that Peter had trouble keeping his eyes on Jesus when he's standing on top of water? Absolutely. Do I understand for you that sometimes it can be hard to keep your eyes on Jesus? Absolutely. I understand that. I get it. Peter was in the storm. Get this. Peter got to see Jesus flesh and blood standing right in front of him. And Peter still had trouble keeping his eyes on Jesus. Right? We don't don't get that advantage. We see Jesus with our hearts, with our spirit, with our soul. But we don't get to see him flesh and blood right in front of us, right? When you lost your job, did Jesus show up in his white robe and purple sash and say, hey, let me help you pack your boxes. You know, I'm going to help get you out of here. No, Jesus didn't show up like that. We have to keep our souls focused on Jesus, our spirits focused on Jesus. So in case you're down on yourself, we're all Peter. We're all struggling to keep our eyes on Jesus in the midst of the storm. And none of us have the luxury of seeing him in the flesh. The thing about an anchor, which it tells us Jesus is our anchor. The anchor does its best work when it's in the boat. No, the anchor does its best work when it's not even seen. It goes down into the water and attaches itself to something that is immovable that will not move or let go of it. So the anchor holds on to us. Meanwhile, we're on top of the water, feeling like at any moment this boat is going to crack wide open and the elements of life are just going to drown me. Yet even though we can't see it, the anchor is set. The work is finished. His love is for you and towards you. It is present and near. So why do you doubt? Because the waves are real. Because the stress is real. And because I can't see the anchor. But I just need to know. I need to know that the anchor is steady and trustworthy. That it's there. John 6 tells the same account. It tells us that after they had this conversation, they got in the boat. Peter and Jesus had that whole conversation standing on the water with Jesus holding Peter up. They get into the boat, and it tells us that immediately the storm has passed, and they are at their destination. Why do we doubt? As Jesus gets into the boat, immediately we arrive. That's Jesus. He breaks through our storm. 
and steadies us, challenges us, and goes with us. And then we turn around and realize, look where God has taken me. Look what God has done in my life. The writer of Hebrews is telling them, and he's telling us, he is the anchor in your storm. Keep going. Jesus is in your storm, and he's going to see you through your storm. You're going to end up at the destination that God has for you. He's telling the Hebrew people, and he's telling us, just don't give up. Don't give up in the midst of the storm. I know that there are those of you here today, you feel like giving up. Maybe you feel like giving up on God. Maybe you feel like giving up on church, on your marriage, on what you feel like God called you to do in life. I don't know what it is for you, but I know all of us hit those places in life where we just feel like giving up. And I want to remind you today that you have a strong and trustworthy anchor for your souls. He is faithful. He keeps his promises. He will never leave us or forsake us. And just for me, just speaking personally, if not Jesus, where do I have to go? There's nothing else in this world that can satisfy me and get me through the storms of life. It's only Jesus. And I pray that that's where you find yourselves as well. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you remind us today, just like you reminded the Hebrew people so many years ago, that you are with us that you are strong, capable of facing anything and everything that we could face, and you are trustworthy. Father, your word is true, and it tells us that you cannot lie. Father, you are near us in the midst of our broken hearts. You never leave us, and you never forsake us. So, Father, we welcome you to come and work in our lives. If you're here today and you just say, I need to trust Jesus with my life, I want you to take a moment and just ask Him in your own words, it doesn't have to be fancy words. It doesn't have to be a special prayer. But if you would just say, God, I want to trust you with my life. Maybe that's for the first time. Maybe that's for the hundredth time. But in the midst of your storm, if you would just ask God to come and steady you, to keep you from tipping over, to keep you from drifting, to keep you from sinking. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.